Welcome to Unless You Ask with me, Kevin Chung. Today I am joined by a very special first guest, Rick Thomas, the one and only prom king, CEO of Branch Out Parks, and uh, general juggling guy. Rick, welcome to the pod. Excited to be here, Kevin. Um, for the listeners at home who might not know you, how would you say you and I know each other, Rick? Uh, well, we've been together for a long time is probably the best way I could summarize it. But uh, I consider Kevin my oldest friend or one of my oldest friends. We go back now mm, 12 years or so, a, a, a good dozen, maybe a baker's dozen. Yeah, 2009, and, I believe. Okay, well, round up to my dozen analogy. <laughs> Oh, I guess we it's 2021 yeah, now. Exactly. Yeah, whoa, whoa. Welcome to the new year. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think Kevin did a great intro. Some other tidbits that uh, may be worth mentioning. Um, college roommates, conspirators on a lot of uh, goofy activities. I'm the guacamole making champion two years in a row for Ravel College. And Humble brag. I think... <laughs> the the humblest but i think that my reputation speaks for itself i agree rick um yeah so um the sort of to to give a quick intro to how this podcast the intention behind this podcast basically it's covid19 we're all at home we're isolated we're trying to stay safe and i think that one thing that's helped me a lot is listening to podcasts during this time so I decided to try to make one as a way to connect and learn more about my friends and sort of an excuse to just talk to people and, and get to know them a little better. So there's a lot of unknowns uh, when it comes to making a podcast and you know nothing has shown that more than kind of the amount of effort it took to get this recording setup working. Uh, but one thing to kind of make it a little bit less of an unknown, more of a predictable sort of safe bet was to start off the show with Rick because we've known each other for so long and I felt like I knew almost every one of his interests. So when I asked Rick, okay, what what maybe do you want to talk about on the show? Um, he gave me a few options. Do you remember what those options were, Rick? Let's see. I, I had to whittle down the list, but I think that the final three I, I pitched to you were green investing, mm -hmm. lobbying, and I'm actually blanking on the third one. Oh, tr uh, urban planning, the future, and the past. So, yeah, in the 12 years that Rick and I have known each other, none of these topics have ever come up, <laughs> as far as I can tell. <laughs> Is that true? Safe to say? That That's true. I, I think everyone's uh, picked up a few new interests in the past year, so I, I am no exception to that rule. That's true, yeah. Um, so I told him, okay, all those things sound like pretty big... Uh, endeavors for us to try to tackle on a first episode you know i was expecting you to be like heavy metal <laughs> but uh let's do it i i decided you know maybe the best thing for us to talk about would be lobbyists because it's pretty general um and i am very curious sort of what got you into l lobbying or lobbyists you do live yeah. in dc it should be noted it, yeah and, and i i worry that be so i did get into lobbying about this past year more or less and i'm worried that it makes me a kind of like a, a dc stereotype it's either that or i'm just a engaged citizen of the city you know depending how you spin it but i don't know i i think it's something that 
impacts all of us whether we realize it or not and once you sort of you know peek behind the veil a little bit there's some really interesting stuff going on and there's a reason people who know a lot about it have very strong opinions so i i want to make the disclaimer that although i often think i'm an expert in most things i talk about i'm actually i'm actually not but i'm very excited to share my musings and opinions on the matter Great. Yeah. I will say that, you know, in in sort of a more professional podcast setting, we would definitely need to talk to a lobbyist or, you know, someone who actually does this to be able to, you know, get the legitimacy. And it should be known that this is, you know, just two people talking that don't really know that much about lobbying. So don't uh, don't take too much of the the facts, quote unquote, discussed today to heart. Yeah, when Kevin says I'm into lobbying or got into it, I'm not I'm not a lobbyist. So I am a, a recreational enthusiast of the lobbying profession, I would say. So One I don't want anyone you. to think there's conflicts of interest or anything going on. We'll get to the bottom of that eventually. <laughs> okay, excellent. So, okay, for the people who are lo- not familiar, how would you describe what lobbyists do? So... I think the the broadest definition from my understanding is that a lobbyist or lobbying is trying to influence a decision maker of some sort. So I think there's a there's a distinction to be made between lobbying, which you, you can do, I can do, you know, anyone can lobby someone, but then there's sort of a separate category of what we would consider lobbyists, people who make it their full-time profession to influence and sway most often government officials got it so if i was you know the ceo of uh, kevin's podcast incorporated and i really wanted to see my shit at the top of the uh the itunes charts i could hire a lobbyist to go talk to um the itunes people and tell them you know (laughs) There's there's some there's a little something in it for you if we see unless you ask topping the comedy charts, uh, specifically the comedy charts. I think that's where we we, we need to be. Yeah. I yeah. So that you're already diving into I think the biggest gray area of lobbying is like something in it for you, right? Like often people wonder like is lobbying just bribery, right? Like what mm-hmm. what is in it for iTunes and you know how do you negotiate those those treacherous waters right so that's where things get interesting real fast yeah i agree and i think in this case what i was referring to is sort of me giving gifts or money to to itunes is that sort of the kind of lobbying that is most common or do you know have you heard of other kinds of quid pro quo if you will yeah i think that's the most common people think of i think in reality there's enough regulation and enforcement of that regulation to make it impossible to outright say gift someone money like if you wanted to just write a a check to a politician for ten thousand dollars if they you know propose a bill that strengthens your position in the market or something but what they can do and i think what happens most often is that you can donate to their campaign so Yep. your money will directly benefit them, but it's not as if it's going into their bank account. How does that make you feel, Rick? I think a lot of people well, would say there's too much money, too big money in politics is a huge problem. Do you, yeah. uh, in your experience with lobbying, do you feel like that's it's really causing some issues? 
So, yeah, I had to tone down my stance before coming on this show because I didn't want to scare any of the future listeners away. But it makes me feel like trash. Like, it makes zero sense. So I'm hoping we can explore some of the pros around it. But in general, it's I think it's a terrible idea. And fortunately, I have some good ideas on how to fix it. But I don't, you know, that'll be for later on down the road. All right. Yeah. That little teaser for later in the episode. That's right. Got to keep the listeners engaged. I, I love how you're prioritizing the listeners. I When I started the show and described what it was for, it was really for me. It's a selfish project. <laughs> to put yourself well, out there creatively is hard. But when it's just for you, it's not. <laughs> that's true. You're Well, you're listener number one. So consider this uh, an ode to Kevin, perhaps. Yeah, very self-indulgent. That's why we have you as our first guest on the show. A friend of Unless You Ask. Yeah, a safe bet and self-indulgent. I think those are how I want my autobiography to title myself. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, you talked a little bit about how you got interested in lobbying. I guess, is there any kind of specific uh, example or a, a type of lobbying or, I don't know, something that's a story that stood out in your mind? Yeah, so... One of the consequences of being in D.C. is that even though I don't work for any politicians or or the government at all, I'm inherently much closer to it. So I've actually met a couple people who have interacted directly with lobbyists. And to me, it was meeting someone who had encountered Bigfoot, right? Like you hear about them all the time but you don't really know if they exist or you don't know anything about them. And then suddenly you find out that these lobbyists are just like regular people interacting and you find out Bigfoot is just this friendly giant in the forest. So it just brought it much more into focus with me and just hearing how meetings with lobbyists went, I think was sort of a huge eye-opening experience. Yeah. Do you feel like they're kind of uh, shy to to express to friends and family and, and just to more publicly what they do for a living? Is it kind of like a shameful job to have? I, th- I think a lot of lobbyists take pride in it, but they spend most of their time justifying why they're not the bad people people think they are. Right. Right. I'm trying to think of a, a good analogy. Like if you if you stole like Robin Hood, right? Like mm-hmm. Robin Hood had objectively a very important job, but he probably had to spend a good time amount of time explaining why he was doing all this thieving of goods and distributing them. So So just on the record, you are comparing lobbyists to Robin Hood, the historical figure who uh, redistributed wealth. Yeah, but but with the slight with the slight caveat that uh, this in this instance Robin Hood is is lining Little John's pockets and no one else's. Little John, the famous singer. Yeah, his, his pockets John. are so is so deep. He he needed a a cut. Turned down for lobbying. <laughs> uh, one small follow up question: What what is someone who designs lobbies? Oh. Um, you mean like a, a an interior designer, an architect? That's not a lobbyist. You'd think that I think that's the origin of the word. I think that you would lobby a designer to build you a better lobby. Whoa. Like it, it's sort it's sort of this like uh, uh, self fulfilling prophecy, right? Yeah, the lobby lobby. Yeah, they, they got to hang out somewhere. Yeah um do you feel like so we went to high school together do you feel like that they uh sort of explained did you feel like you had a a grasp of lobbying before um 
sort of you were an adult like is that covered at all in in school i i don't remember learning about it but i also you know i never took uh like an ap gov course but i also think that education in general or just adults downplay lobbying because they don't want to teach kids about it because it is this you know kind of nebulous uh trap to fall into as far as explaining why there's so much money in our politics but you know if you had asked me what a lobbyist was while we were in high school i probably could have said something about like they they go and complain to the government and that's about it right like it's just not that common of a, a topic yeah that's fair i i think the first time that i clearly remember like thinking about lobbyists was well after i graduated from college and there was a bill in california proposition to get the uh not even to repeal but to just have the ability to repeal daylight savings time do you remember that oh yeah yeah controversial and people were making a lot of jokes about like oh like if you support this you're in the pocket of big time and (laughs) big time big time (laughs) big time exactly and uh that just thinking about big time as like a lobby that that was the the most recent memory or i guess the most memorable like time that i thought about lobbying and it was like as a joke so i think it's they're flying kind of under the radar i mean obviously i i know about lobbying but of all the problems going on in the world it's not the one that i like definitely have latched onto but i'm sure that it influences a lot of things in ways that i would not normally approve of yeah and i think i think you're right and i also think that it's been thrown into the spotlight more recently it it may be just that we're sort of naive in thinking lobbying wasn't as big of a deal when we were you know teenagers it's probably it was and we just weren't aware of it but it seems that it there's a a, a bigger light on it now because people are are continuing to realize that our system doesn't work for everybody and lobbying plays a lot into that right there's a huge equity piece yeah I agree because nobody's lobbying on my behalf or, you know, an average podcaster's behalf. Um, Mm -hmm. They're doing it for companies. I read somewhere in preparation for this, that 95% of lobbyists are from like private companies. Right. Exactly. I I think I came across the same uh, Wikipedia article or, you know, wherever that was. Hey, (laughs) hey, now we do legit research on unless you ask. And I can assure you that I watched one YouTube video from CNBC. So. Oh, all right. Well, we can cite cite them in the the credits then perhaps and and make sure we build up our cred. Absolutely not. It is just you and I. (laughs) And everything that we say on this podcast, this is attributable to us. So I you you really uh, hit the nail on the head, though, as far as why lobbying has become a huge issue. And it's because that the interests that are being presented to our policymakers are in large part corporations. So there's in theory, there's nothing stopping the podcast association or, you know, you and, and the rest of us from the Midi Smash League forming our own interest group and asking them to put more money towards, um, you know, like Nintendo Cube games and bring it back GameCube games or something. But in reality, it is these corporations that are dominating the space. Yeah. 
Um, just so that there's some context for the listeners, can you explain what MIDI Smash League is <laughs> and how well, it plays into our, it, us knowing each other? It, it's kind of like the Illuminati in the sense that it was this kind of fly-by-night organization. People like heard about it in the hallways, but you weren't quite sure who was in it as far as the student body at MIDI, but it was a, a, co, a core cohort of our friends bonded together by the, the love of the game, and the game in this case being Super Smash Bros. Brawl, arguably the best uh, installment of the Super Smash Bros. series. I feel like you're lobbying the listeners right now, if I'm being honest. <laughs> that, yes. We're, we're, I think we're all lobbying a little bit constantly right we're always trying to uh influence people to make certain decisions or view you in a certain way so you know i'm not i'm not going on record saying i was part of the midi smash league because i don't want there to be a conflict of interest but let's just say th there's some good folks there yeah so to, to be completely clear and transparent this is uh, a group of high schoolers playing video games at each other's houses and and rick and i uh met and kind of bonded through these uh experiences together so just as an aside um rest in peace midi smash league uh 2006 to 2010 <laughs> <laughs> we never didn't realize how good we had it we certainly didn't <laughs> um cool so yeah i uh you touched a little bit earlier on sort of what you might think are some things we can do to combat big money in politics like what are some uh sort of ways to turn the lobbying industry on its head do you uh yeah. is that true first of all it it's definitely true and i don't like to exaggerate but i might say that some of these ideas are the boldest ones i've had as far as how to shake up uh the boldest lobby. ideas you've had this is someone who once pitched to me above ground sewers <laughs> it's less of pitched and more of uh helped sh uh bring to truth the need for them <laughs> let's not forget also the bocce ball grocery store hybrid i think that was you... our that was our joint idea true <laughs> but as people, far as bold this is copyrighted bold ideas <laughs> yeah if you <laughs> yeah if, if i see a bunch of bocce ball grocery stores pop up after this airs i'm gonna sue but go ahead and tell them what what it's about so RT Chung's is the name of it. And the the worst thing about going to the grocery store, as we all know, is having to do the shopping. The best part of going to the grocery store is getting to be out in public, you know, seeing people, feeling like you're part of society. So what if you could have both at the same time? Enter RT Chung's, a grocery store where you bring your list, people shop for you while you play bocce ball. Exactly. It's basically Instacart, but with the built-in bocce ball feature. And uh, you have a little bit more oversight over the substitutions. I mean, come on with these substitutions, am I right? If you're ordering groceries at home right now, and I know a lot of you are, these some of these substitutions that Amazon thinks are, are legitimate are absolute bananas. I, I got baby food. We almost got like mint shampoo instead of just mint. <laughs> Did you? What did you end up doing with this baby food? We don't. It's uh, maybe we'll find a child that we can pawn that off to, or some parents. We still have it. Obviously, we didn't eat the baby food. 
I, I want to, to put a petition out there for listeners. If you'd like Kevin to eat the baby food, make sure you comment once this podcast goes live. There's, yeah, no comment section on a podcast app, but <laughs> I, I will pitch an email address at the end of this that you can send uh, whatever you want me to do with the baby food to that email. Yeah, well, so I, I highly encourage people to take Kevin up on that. But just imagine if there is a substitution issue, they just, you know, catch you while you're on a water break of your bocce ball game. Ask like, hey, we're out of, you know, a premier applesauce. Are you cool with uh, potato sauce? And then you just can make a game time decision without interrupting the game time decision. All right. <laughs> potato sauce. I, I was thinking what's closest to an apple without being a fruit and my answer Whoa. was a potato that's yeah that's something that'll be our takeaway question at the end of this just think to yourselves what's closest to an apple that isn't a fruit yeah i defy anyone to come up with a better something answer closer than a potato anyway we got a little sidetrack what so you were about to pitch some groundbreaking ideas i brought up that you like above ground mm. sewers but we didn't actually get to hear your ideas so let's reel it back in and let me know what you're thinking about re improving the lobby situation yeah so the, the best way to answer the question of how to improve the lobbying industry however you want to call it is to ask you a question kevin which is how do you feel about libraries love libraries i have a long history of libraries i memorized my library card number when i was a kid <laughs> Two one one nine seven three zero one three nine seven one five three because you have to enter it to use the computers. Man, um, and I was yeah jamming on those computers. Kids were playing RuneScape, Tactics Arena online. No, no books were being read. Uh, it was great. <laughs> yeah, so clearly, I think you're picking up with picking up on something that I think every person intrinsically knows is that libraries are dope, and there's something there for everyone, right? least of all me yeah <laughs> yeah you know like books are sort of an afterthought sometimes of libraries the point being libraries are so great as you pointed out because they're this pooling of a common resource that provides benefit to the to the community and i think what makes libraries so important is that it doesn't matter if you make $500,000 or you make $5 a year, you have equal access to that library and the information and resources in it, right? That's correct. So, you know, if you happen to be one of those strange folks who use the library for books, uh, for example, it, you know, you don't get spe special treatment if you are a wealthy donor to the library. Well, maybe you would, but I don't think you would because libraries would, would clamp down on that. But you know, if you were a wealthy individual, you have to wait just as long to get that new manga as someone else. Just put yourself in the wait list and you cool your jets. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that's why libraries are the exact opposite of lobbyists, because lobbyists reward people with a lot of resources and the influential wealthy folks just rise to the top. So the obvious solution here is to transform the lobbying community into a library, by which I mean make all lobbyist books you can check out, basically. So if you want to lobby something, if you're Kevin's podcast and you want to lobby someone, you have to check out a lobbyist. 
Maybe you have to wait your turn if they're all booked. That'll teach you some self-restraint. But it clearly would solve all the issues that lobbying presents. So in this scenario, just to be clear, the lobby library is run by the government. They're lobbying themselves, essentially. So yeah, I, I guess who decides gets to be... I have a lot of questions. <laughs> Perfect. I, I have a lot of well-thought-out answers. That's, so yeah. <laughs> that's why you're here, bud. Yeah, I think in this scenario, there's not to say that this is the holy grail approach, but I'm pretty sure it might be, is the <laughs> the lobbying library are like contractors that the government pays. So there's no private money in there. And mm -hmm. they are freely available to anyone who wants them. Interesting. Um, so the government, the federal government is deciding who gets to be in the lobby library the library well, the, the library i think i'd be open to electing these lobbyists or, or something or you could apply hmm. but i i think it's less important who's actually there so much as it is a matter of who has access to them right because right now anyone who wants to lobby just writes a big check and hires a lobby, lobbying firm. And mm -hmm. clearly that's not something that a lot of folks can do. So the, the name of the game is to play, level out the playing field. Got it. And the, the there's also gonna be a limited, so like how many, you're, you're trying to restrict how many people can actually lobby by having a number of people in this library and that's like the cap. So. What do you think is an appropriate number of lobbyists for mm. the many? And there's thousands now, right? But you're trying to like throttle this. Yeah, I, I'm down to be the bottleneck for the government. I think someone needs to stand up and do that. The government's enough, a little too efficient enough. currently. <laughs> <laughs> you're down to be the. When you said that, it's like you're willing to be this one. This whole thing has come back to you being a sole lobbyist. In <laughs> yeah, I will be the voice of the people. <laughs> the voice of a, whatever company hires you. The yeah, opposite but, of the people. But I think if, if it's a company I don't like, I think I could, you know, argue their case in a less than flattering way, which is actually maybe the one flaw in my system, but we won't focus the one on that. <laughs> so this back is... to your point, back yeah. to your point. Uh, right now... I believe there's somewhere around 11,000 to 12,000 lobbyists, like registered lobbying mm -hmm. people, men and men and women. And I think if we brought that number down to around 800, I think that would really encourage people to only present things that are of the utmost importance, as well as make it so you don't get lost in this library. You don't want to scroll through 11,000 books with the same title that's impossible i lost the thread a little bit on the scrolling through books and how that works but uh, i do imagine... think there's probably a little bit of a an opportunity here for abuse still but uh i, I like that you're at least removing the number of lobbyists that there are yeah i i think that there doesn't need to be that many right now the reason there are so many lobbyists is because so many bills get introduced into Congress, but that's most of those don't end up, you know, actualizing into anything. So if you lower that and still you'd get the same number of things passed, but you're just cutting out all this fluff. 
and then jamming you're jamming the system so if you unjam the system bottleneck it at a different point and end up with the same outcome but a more equitable version of that outcome i feel like maybe part like the reason that congress is not able to pass as many bills or they feel blocked is has less to do with the volume of bills and more to do with sort of the dynamic of the senate but that's a whole different topic perhaps i i think you're right but the reason well one of the reasons lobbying is important and i i had to walk back my stance of just removing all lobbying permanently Mm. is that lobbying i've learned they do play an important role in educating legislative staff because there are so many bills and because there are so many constituents that need to be represented say in a representative's district or or whatever that these staff that are you know not paid super well and are overworked and they burn out really quick they don't have time to research all of the interests and you know who should get the money and and how to allocate these scarce resources that's where a lobbyist comes in is they have all the research done often they're able to present the information clearly it's it's self-serving mm-hmm. but it is still getting the information in the hands of people making decisions interesting yeah, yeah it seems like yeah to me maybe the the solution there is to have a little bit more of a staff or of a neutral party to do that research but your uh your point is right that the a lot of the times i think lawmakers don't actually have as good of a grasp as they could on what's going on with all their constituents and there is room for some someone some people to assist in that not filling that knowledge gap but yeah today it it's definitely deeply abused to kind of skew towards specific interests right and i think that this is like a classic example of something that the framers of the constitution didn't envision happening so the 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 brief dive I took into the history of this is that people argue lobbying is protected by the Constitution, the, yes. the First Amendment. Yep. Um, Petition the government. It's in there. Exactly. Right. But if you recall, the Constitution is for citizens. And the idea of getting companies the same right is where I get upset and where I think if you had asked hamilton or madison or uh hancock i think he was a big advocate against lobbying perhaps that there you know his his quill maker industry did not need a voice in how the government was run and he would have slapped down corporations big time right so yeah i mean this this goes on there's there's a lot of uh this is a juicy meaty topic because there's there's a lot of reasons why corporations being treated as people is problematic but uh yeah we we obviously are not uh such experts at that at, at dissecting all the nuance related to the the issues with uh that those laws not yet we're not <laughs> yeah i guess that's unless you ask the point of the podcast is maybe we'll learn a little more because of this um absolutely so one follow-up question somewhat related is uh how what if you let's say you're in a position of power as you often are and, yeah uh, sadly yes <laughs> and someone needed to convince you of something what would be the most uh what would be the most direct way to lobby a rick thomas 
I feel like I've almost given people a, a playbook on how to do this, which makes me worried that I'm I'm exposing myself to unnecessary influence. But I mean, that's, I think there's... you're about to do the same thing, but now in <laughs> yeah, a more well, permanent fashion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fortunately, I think I've I've uh, you know let the cat out of the bag enough times that you're ready to adopt it. So I think there's three easy steps th to win me over. Number one, convince me that you have no skin in the game. If I think you're making a decision or whatever, and it's not going to personally benefit you, I'm going to trust you a lot more to just provide neutral uh, advice or a recommendation, right? So mm -hmm. if, if you're not suddenly going to benefit a lot, I'm, I'm, you know, your man. Mm -hmm. Number two, you need to start with something super outlandish and then walk back just a little bit because I'll, I'll meet you all the way there and think, huh, is this too outlandish? And then you'll come back with something else. I'm like, okay, that's the middle ground that I was looking for, but never would have had the, the gumption to approach. So <laughs> step one, step two, step three to, to seal the deal I think would just be to pretend you've already convinced me. Like, I think I'm in or, uh, you? Well, not which I just learned the origin of that term. Do you know what it is? No, but I would love to know. I would never know unless I asked. That's right. Well, I guess I'm the one who asked here. So you're welcome. <laughs> so here's here's what it is. Gaslight, I do not recommend this movie because it's terrifying but gaslight is a movie from the 19 mm, we'll say the 1800s so i don't think it was a movie i think it was a play it's the whole and <laughs> so so such a bad start <laughs> no well it's a bad start to the movie so <laughs> what happens is this couple moves into an old apartment with gaslights and the husband vanishes every night to an unknown location and Throughout the entire day before he leaves, he's trying to convince his wife that she's going insane by hiding things, by, uh, you know, taking things that she puts somewhere and hiding them, like like common pranks that would normally be endearing, but with the goal of getting her convicted as a, a mental patient. And then he goes upstairs when he leaves in the middle of the night and walks around and turns on the lights and that causes the lights downstairs to start flickering which he thinks she's just making that up mm -hmm. but it turns out a lot of the things i forgot to tell you about is that he's looking for secret diamonds that he believes are upstairs and whoa <laughs> yeah yeah like that that comes out of left field big time and the reason he's trying to convict or to convince her she's insane is because he's got a secret alter ego that she knows about and instead of trying to convince her that she's wrong or anything he just wants no one to believe her about his alter ego wow cue gaslight don't recommend it's very disturbing i don't like the idea of there being hidden treasure that i don't know about <laughs> and someone uh, accusing their wife of being insane did you watch this movie i did just like three weeks ago while i was home oh my gosh i can't believe well, you this movie slash 1800s play yeah i saw it as the the film production so i did not see the live performance due to covid but right. i'm sure it's coming to broadway yeah. however i i've 
was accidentally gaslighting a large member, a large portion of my family over Christmas break. And we started throwing the term around a lot as, as you just did. And we decided to figure out what was the origin of it. Little did we know we were just getting started. Yeah. That's the plot of that movie was unbelievable to follow. Thank you for explaining that. I think that's probably the biggest takeaway from this <laughs> besides the, <laughs> the, that you want to make lobbyists a library. <laughs> That I, I think those are not as uh, detached topics as you might think they are. I think right. lobbyists are maybe trying to gaslight the American people. Oh, and wow. It's about, t- about time we find the diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, th- I think with, we, can, we can end it there. Uh, thank you so much, Rick, for joining me on our first episode and for uh, wading through those technical difficulties. Before we go, do you have. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Well, it's tough because I was going to plug to not watch Gaslight, right. but now that I've, I've buried the lead, I think what I will plug instead is that I, I encourage, I, I've really been enjoying just learning a little bit more about this stuff. And as I have been, I've been realizing that there's a lot of info out there about not just like where money is flowing, but what decisions large companies are making that large companies are making that really impact us. And I just, I guess if I was making a plug, it would be if you have the time and the interest, it's really worthwhile to see what decisions companies that you support are making, whether you buy their products or think that they're doing a good job uh, politically or, or whatever, because I think you'll learn some really interesting stuff. And it's really important, I think, you know, especially for our generation, that we're interested in aligning with companies whose values reflect ours. So I would just encourage people to be a little inquisitive. You never know unless you ask or do some Googling. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that'd be my takeaway. Wow, great, very selfless plug. I assumed you were going to talk about your business that you. I was I was going to, but I'm I'm too worried about being a lobbyist. I Whoa. I have to walk a fine line. Yeah, I've I've become my own greatest enemy. Yeah, check him out at the library, and then maybe he'll tell you about his company. Um, That's right. I'll leave a link uh, to your website in the show description for this show. But um, thank you. I'm going to go look up. We we drink like 16 cans of Spindrift a day here. So I'm going to look up if they're legit or not after this. So I can totally. know whether to keep supporting the delicious sparkling water. I think that's a great idea. And if they're not, you should switch to Branch Out Parks because I think they'll have a, a similar product for you, but better. You, you're saying you sell sparkling water? Um, I, I sell experiences just like Spindrift does. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I think Spindrift <laughs> mostly sells the sparkling water, but I'll be sure to, yeah, also go to a park, uh, and, okay. and check that out. Excellent. Rick, thank you very much for joining me. Um, it's been a pleasure and, uh, I hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks for all your knowledge about lobbying. The, the pleasure was all mine, my friend. so much for listening to the first episode of the show you can check out rick's diy outdoor escape rooms at branchoutparks.com if you like what you heard or thought that you could do better uh, i would love to hear from you you can email me at unlessyapod at gmail.com that's unless yapod at gmail.com and i would love to have you on as a guest 
This podcast was produced with support from Bread People Productions, a label that wants to bring out the unbred in all of us. Seriously, thank you so much to Annie Kravenschmidt for all the help producing this podcast. You can check out Bread People Productions, all the projects they're working on, and get in touch at breadpeopleproductions.com. That's it. And if you made it this far, I will tell you a little secret. My left shoulder is slightly higher than my right shoulder.